Welcome to the Uncut Podcast. I'm Pastor Luke. And I'm Pastor Cameron. And this is the Uncut Podcast. We have uncut, honest conversations about faith, life, and ministry. And um, today we're just going to turn on the mics and kind of have some conversation, continue the conversation we were just beginning to have. Um, last week we talked about deconstruction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it'd be interesting to just start off with like, that's a, you know, uh, seems like a very popular topic right now, but there was one thing that I had in when I was reflecting on that conversation post having that conversation last week when we recorded it, um, was, uh, I wanted to clarify that I don't necessarily think, or I do think I, let me say this. Deconstruction does not always move in the direction from conservative to liberal, right? Or in the direction from faith. I have faith now, and I'm moving in the direction of no faith. Yes, yeah, yeah. I think, I think the the stories that get a lot of maybe get talked about a lot, or the ones that we we maybe focus on because they're the ones that like maybe make us most anxious or something like that are the ones where people move from faith to non-faith or from conservative to liberal. Cause we're like, Oh my gosh, they're becoming liberal or something like that. But lots of people, I can think of a couple um, who um, went from arguably a more liberal space to, and, and I say liberal in a general, general frame. I don't actually mean like, liberal and conservative in a political sense, but, um, and then became more conservative in their expression of faith. And, you know, that's in a lot of ways, people's move, like anytime someone comes to a place of non-faith or atheism into faith, right. That's like a, you know, so I guess the deconstructionism or deconstructing does not lead you necessarily in only one direction. Yeah. It seems to me like we could probably define it more or we could, not more, not better, but just in that deconstruction kind of represents the the transforming of a general worldview, mm-hmm. even a theological worldview. So, like whether that's moving from one side of the spectrum to the next, or uh, and wherever you wherever you would start on that spectrum. So, if you would start on the evangelical side and move to the liberal side, or yeah, or conservative, or whatever your whatever your um, preferred um, labels are. Um, but uh, yeah, you, you you do often see, you know, people who have maybe lived uh, a good portion of their lives without faith, mm-hmm. um, without any sense of hope for the future without any regard for uh, a relationship with Jesus. And it's usually, in my experience, through some some circumstances, mm-hmm. some sort of circumstance where they come to the realization that the worldview that they were holding or the way in which they were processing the world and living life did not have significant answers or right. meaning for either what they were experiencing or life in general. And so they actually deconstructed the worldview that says, I don't need anything or anyone but myself and turned to life in Jesus. Mm -hmm. And we would consider that deconstruction as well. They deconstructed a 
godless worldview into one where they are now relying on Jesus. Right. Yeah. So it's a, yeah, it doesn't necessarily move in one direction. No. It was just, it's just sometimes the other directions that it tends to move, we tend to use other words for that. Right. Finding faith, coming to Jesus, like yep. um, we don't typically associate that with deconstructing, right? But you are deconstructing something, yeah, right? You're, yeah, or detangling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. Did right. you have any other reflections on on that conversation since we've had it? Um, I would say my my reflections are that I am really sympathetic. I feel really like pastorally sympathetic Mm -hmm. to those who are in like a deconstructive mind or like in a deconstructive pattern. Yeah. Um, Because my experience is that typically deconstruction happens out of a really negative experience with someone who holds the worldview that the person used to hold. Yeah. And and it makes me um it makes me sad that sometimes the worldview or like say we're, say we're talking about someone who's moving from maybe a conservative evangelical position to mm-hmm. either faithlessness faithlessness in general. Yeah. Disregard for the church, disregard for the scriptures, for Jesus himself or whatever. Um I I am really sympathetic to that process and that position because it usually happens as a reaction to a really negative experience that a mm-hmm. person has had with a person who holds that yeah. rather than the belief structure itself. Right. You know? Or sometimes a like church culture Right, it's not always necessarily located in a person, but it's... right, and but uh, but there again, I think church culture is usually encapsulated in people. Yeah, you know, like right. when when people say, you know, I, um, oh, I have a lot. Well, we've talked maybe a little bit about this. Like, I have a lot of church hurt. hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're they're kind of placing that hurt on the institution of the church, right, as church. a whole globally historic right universally yeah and while i understand that mm-hmm. the reality is is that we we don't really actually have church hurt we have people hurt mm-hmm. you know we people have hurt us and sometimes a group of people have hurt us yeah um maybe they have not advocated for us or they have had questionable moral or ethical character or they have um, not led faithfully or mm-hmm. well. Or they have really unhealthy theology. Unhealthy theology, unhealthy okay. personal culture, leadership culture, whatever. Um, but to say that the church has hurt is a little bit, I think, of a throwing a baby, throwing the baby out with the bathwater, right. and not not considering that you know we you know people hurt people. Yeah. Um, and that the only way through hurt mm-hmm. is forgiveness. Yeah. Um and and that becomes a very a very large and difficult pill yeah. to swallow when you've been hurt. Yeah. 
Well, the the thing that is so sad is that the person who has caused hurt in in those people's lives, and if that becomes a significant reason to abandon faith or abandon the church, like that person continues to maintain a presence, effect, and like control over the outcome of that person's life. Mm-hmm. If it's like this person, this person or this church did something so awful to me, they said this thing to me, and I just like cannot, you know, and so therefore I must abandon faith or church. Right. Right. Really what you're doing is you're continuing allowing the effect of, you know, that hurt being done to you yeah. to some degree if right. you choose the route of unforgiveness. Right. Well, and we very rarely go scorched earth on our lives like yeah. we do w- with church. Church. Uh-huh. You know. So, yeah, like kind of as a as a classic, you know, well people will tell me a lot. I love Jesus, but I just can't stand the church. Right. Right. And I said this many times like Jesus is not overly impressed with that sentiment. Because <laughs> because Jesus loves the church and the scriptures say that he died for the church and he's the head of the church and the church is his body mm-hmm. and the church is his bride and like lots of lots of, you know, truth that Jesus loves the church. So to say that we love Jesus but we hate the church is not something that really impresses Jesus. No. Or that he would advocate for. Um, but I understand the sentiment that that ex- exists that exists there. But but what happens is like we don't we we very rarely take that type of attitude with really anything else in life. Yeah. You know, for instance, if you go to a restaurant and you have a really horrible experience, the server is rude and you, there's hair in your food, right? And, you know, they overcharge you and, you know, whatever. You have a bad, bad, bad experience. Yeah. Um, you, you don't say, I hate restaurants. Sure. I'm never eating out at a restaurant right. ever again. You kind of take a little bit of a step back and you have some, you, you gain some perspective about like, I had a really negative experience at that particular restaurant. restaurant. Right. And sometimes if you've gone to that restaurant and you frequented it and you've had really good experiences prior, you chalk it up to a fluke. Correct. <laughs> right. Right. Or you might talk to the manager and the manager might say, oh, wow, I don't know how this happened or I'm right. so sorry for how this happened and how can we make this right? You actually kind of pursue your own sense of, you know, justice. like justice. Justice or, for the flea in my soup. <laughs> right? or, or reconciliation or whatever you, you want to say. But yeah. you, very rarely do you say, I am never going to another restaurant ever again. The whole institution of restaurants is tainted and gross and horrible. Yeah. And forever and ever and ever. I love eating food, but I hate restaurants. I destroy tips. Right. <laughs> we don't do that. Right. So, So I think that it would be... But I think that there's something, there's something much deeper and more emotionally tied and more significant to our relationship with churches that puts us in the space of being willing to do that when we're not willing to do that with other things. And I honestly think seeing over you know the last 20 years people do that, I honestly think that it is 
Um, part of it is demonic. Mm-hmm. I do think that the enemy will take, you know, the littlest thing. And I'm not saying that every church, that every hurt that you experience in the context of church is little. That's not what I'm saying at all. Right. Some of it is very, very significant and very, very big. Yeah. What I'm saying is I think that the enemy will use anything that he possibly can yep. to leverage people's um, disconnection mm-hmm. from the body of Christ. Yes. Because if he can get them separated from Christ, mm-hmm. if he can separate the branch from the vine, then the branch dies. Yep. It withers away and it's useful and good for nothing. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think that we're talking just about a thing where, well, churches just need to do better. They do, but I think we'd be silly to say that it's only that's the only thing that's going on here is right. that just people are flaky. Um, no, I think that I think that there is a you know a very significant spiritual battle going on that we do not always see or recognize mm-hmm. that is actively seeking to destroy those who follow Jesus. Yeah. Period. You know, I'm. I'm thinking of one particular uh, one particular deconstruction story that um, some famous famous person in the Christian world. I'm not going to talk about. I'm not going to name the specifics or whatever because it's not it's not really pertinent to the point. But they had they were like heavily involved in ministry and leading in a church and they they had a really awful experience. They I think they were. If I remember the story correctly, they were trying to conceive and have a child, and they were having miscarriages, and they weren't able to have a kid. And somebody or multiple people came up to them in the church and said, you know, well, if you can't conceive, it must be because of sin, Mm -hmm. or you do not have enough faith, or something like that. And I mean, not to interrupt you, but... Sherry and I, my wife and I, mm-hmm. after infertility for seven years before we adopted, well, infertility for our entire marriage, mm-hmm. we have people tell us that. Right. Right. That, you know, you guys obviously aren't believing in faith obviously. strongly enough. Obviously, right. yeah. Right. I have so many feelings about that because I think it's so wrong. Yeah. Um, and, extremely biblically ignorant to the testimony of scripture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It just is. Yeah. And and the thing is, is I'm like, so many stories are things like that, where they experience something or someone comes and says something or states a belief, maybe says it with authority even, like saying it's biblical or something like that. And I'm just like, that does not represent Christ. Yep. Does not does not even closely represent what the Bible teaches, right. regardless of what they think mm-hmm. they they think it says. Mm-hmm. Like that's you know that is like that is you want to talk about the if I was to take the book of Job and I was to like maybe rewrite it as a new parable for like the modern age, I'd do it with that scenario of like not being able to conceive or a miscarriage and then friends coming and saying, well, then you must be doing X, Y, and Z. That's the plot of Job. Right. And God's like, you're all wrong. Right. Right. Like that's, 
there isn't necessarily an answer to be had for why all of suffering happens to us. You know? Right. Right. Yeah. Or there is a big comprehensive answer that we, it's not yet revealed. Right. Or that is encapsulated in the brokenness of the world. Yeah. You know, and that will be redeemed through yep. Jesus Christ, you mm-hmm. know, but, but yeah, for sure. And for certain, you know, those types of comments um, happen and they often are so extraordinarily uncompassionate or without compassion, without nuancing really the frailty of human life or mm-hmm. human experience or the brokenness of the world. Yep. Right. And, um, and really can. It can wreck damage in people's yeah, lives. Yes. Absolutely can. Yep. And in a, in a significant, significant way. It, the, the comments like that, like, I don't want to be over, I don't want to be unduly harsh. Cause I, I know that a lot of times comments like that come out of ignorance or come out of a discomfort for the situation. They want to like find a way to solve or like fix it and put it into a category, even though it's not their suffering. Um, but it really just, for me, what's coming to mind is the mocking of Christ. Like if you're not, the, if you're the son of Christ, like why don't you come down from the cross? Mm-hmm. Like, right. It, for me, comments like that feel similar to that. Like mm. they, it, it feels like you're coming to Christ and saying, like, well, if you just had enough faith, you wouldn't be on the cross. Right. Yeah. But the Christian life is a cruciform life. Right. Com- so. Yeah. Completely disregarding the fact that, like, God's purposes were greater and mm-hmm. that Christ understood that. And so he stayed on the cross because that was what was needed and that, you know, whatever in whatever ways that we either understand or don't understand that suffering was a part of that plan or a part of that process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is not a popular, not a not a popular. You know, you're not going to see like. Well, you maybe will see that on Instagram reel once in a while. Yeah. But, um, well, that, you're you're more likely to get a like. Jesus wants you to get up today and seize the day and have a great day and you know achieve your goals like motivational Jesus. Yeah, you're rather much more than, likely. Yeah, to get rather that. than Jesus wants you to get up today and pick up an instrument of death. Mm-hmm. And in all, and in every area of your life, absolutely die unto yourself, unto others, unto your plans or your opinions, your, you know, and suffer for his cause or suffer for him because we know that suffering with him is unity with him, right? And all those who, all those who suffer with Christ, yeah, uh, all those who follow Jesus suffer with him. Yeah. yeah. There's a quote, and I won't be able to say it correctly, but I know it was by St. John of the Cross, and he said something to the effect of, do you suffer, do you uh, experience inconvenience or pain, look to the cross, Mm -hmm. right? Like, that's, like, the solution to whatever it is that you're going through. If you're, like, there is a God, there is a person, there is Christ who identifies with our suffering and who through which we have healing and promise of a future. And like, let us look to the cross in the midst of suffering and be reminded that God was crucified. Right. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, in general, the, the, the conversation of deconstruction, I'm, I'm sympathetic with those who are going through a pattern of deconstruction 
maybe because of comments or experiences that they have had um, that have been damaging or hurtful, but that probably exist in a context of very little nuance Mm -hmm. or very little comprehensive understanding of the scripture may be said out of a sense of wanting to say the right thing or wanting to say something, but also sometimes um, things are said to people in order to leverage guilt and shame against them. 100%. And that ends up causing just a lot of damage. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So um, I, you know, would, I would cherish the opportunity to sit down with those types of people and to like hold space open for a more compassionate, truthful still, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, we don't have to abandon principles no. um, in order to maintain a compassionate response to people who are, have significant questions about their faith or their rela- relationship with God mm-hmm. or their relationship with the church. Yeah. I think we can do that. We can do it faithfully. We should yeah. do it faithfully. But. We should. Yeah. There's, I think, I think when we react harshly to stories of uh, to if someone comes and experiences doubt, someone who's coming in and doing a is in a process of deconstruction, I think our harsh reaction usually comes out of a place of fear or insecurity, um, mm. and and a wanting to give the right answer that solves it that fixes it, that makes them being, that makes the person who's experiencing doubt or, or deconstruction, like to be, go back to just this perfectly form fitted, mm-hmm. like understanding where they were. Um, but ultimately what we have to do, and this is ultimately like the call to us as pastors is to trust people to Christ. Yep. Is to say like, I am not responsible, nor can I even on my best days, like be responsible for control, manipulate, or impact their choices, um, their deconstruction, their faith. Um, I have to trust them to the great shepherd and simply be a instrument of him. Yes. That's right. And so I think, I think that's the, anytime you're dealing with anyone, a loved one or someone who's, an unbeliever or someone who is a believer, but going through deconstruction or doubt or wrestling or sin, there's this place of coming to and like, Lord, I have to trust them to you. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, I think we're less prone to do things that would push them away. Mm -hmm. And I think we have, we have a better, we have more capacity to hold space and allow people to, go through what they're going through and trust the outcome to God ultimately. Mm -hmm. Do you have a sense that people's discomfort with people around them deconstructing is at least in some parts wrapped up in their own fear of what if the thing that I have been believing this whole time actually isn't the thing that I should believe or write. And so I'm kind of going to like, I'm going to overcompensate by making sure that this person continues to hold my perspective because if they hold a different perspective, it maybe may call into question the veracity of what I believe. Yeah, definitely. 
Yeah. That's very much what I think, which is in psycho babbles called projection. Right. Yeah. Like that's, that's what I think so much of, that's what I think a lot of stuff is. Yeah. I think any, I think if you look at a lot of, this is a, this is a broad statement. So like I'm open to being corrected and I don't necessarily mean it applies to every single situation. But if you look at any segment of Christianity or Christian leader or Christian who is responding in really strong, vehement, loud, like demanding, controlling ways, behind that is almost always fear, fear and projection, yeah. insecurity. Yeah. It's a like when you talk about people who are like massively angry at like people for living alternative sexual lifestyles, like you on the other side of that is like probably someone who has a whole lot of guilt and shame over their own sin or desires or, um, or at least that tendency exists. Like you said, it's not, it's not a general principle. Not every single time, but like it's more often than not when I see someone react harshly to somebody else, they almost always have something that, they have not yet experienced God's grace impact in their internal life yet. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. Like it, there's the cultural saying that confidence is silent and insecurity is very loud. (laughs) I've not heard that before. That's a perfect way of putting that. Yeah. I, I think that that, that maybe holds true for the way in which we interact with people around that is that confidence, confidence, doesn't admit you might change your you know whatever your word is there for confidence but it doesn't require us to power up and be louder than the person that we disagree with but when we're really insecure in our belief we feel necessary to like we have to be louder because what if right what if we're wrong yeah you know what do you think maybe we talked a little bit about this last time i don't i don't really recall but like what what would be what would be maybe the mo- the most um and i suppose the relationship is different but, but like the most compassionate um understanding but still principled mm-hmm. way in which we would interact with maybe let's say, just say a loved one that is deconstructing in a what we would perceive to be a negative way yeah you know, I read, there's a really good book that I didn't mention. Um, I believe it is called After Doubt. Um, it's a book that seeks to hold the balance I think we're trying to have here of um, <clears throat> of like, not all deconstruction is bad, but like, do it with guardrails. How do you detangle, but not, you know, toss out what is good as well. Um you know, I think the big, I think you're always, you're one of your biggest encouragements to me consistently is to listen, right? Mm-hmm. That's probably like the biggest thing. It's like, can I hear and not just hear, but can I understand? Can I listen? Can I let them explain to me from point A to point B with not critical questions, but like discerning questions, just like, so you're saying this particular incidence or this thing really, but could you tell me more about that? Yeah. 
can can I put on an a genuine capacity of curiosity to understand what is the other person is going through so that I can hear and then I can truly understand. Can I say back to them what they've said to me in a way that they agree? Right. Right. Can can I say, so you are saying X, Y, and Z, da, 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 da. And it would be right to say this. And then they say, yes. Correct. Yeah. If you've gotten to that point, right, you have listened. And yep. the amount that that probably means to that person is immense, right? You might just be surprised at how much that just levels down the conversation entirely. Yeah. I, you know, like in the, in the counseling world, um, from a clinical standpoint, they would call that a primary accurate empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think sometimes when, when we're in that type of relationship, we feel the, um, like say we're, we're hearing someone, we feel the pressure to, uh, we feel the pressure to respond in a specific way uh, or to have an answer. Mm-hmm. And, um, when we don't, we start to babble. Yeah. And so sometimes there is like we, we do need to have a, or we might have an answer. We might have mm-hmm. a truth or something like that. But what I find is the most like, um, affirming of the person, not mm-hmm. necessarily the belief, yeah, but affirming of the person is to re- essentially just restate to them my understanding of what they just said. Right. Um, and, and usually when that happens, oh, so what I hear you say is that you feel very betrayed by the people that were supposed to be trusting and mm-hmm. leading you in a positive direction and example in your faith. And that's made you really question whether or not you want to be a part of something like that again. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly true. Mm-hmm. And then what happens is, and... Da 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 because when they hear when when it's reflected back on them that right. oh my gosh I've been heard I've been understood I someone else is holding that space of empathy for me mm-hmm. right it kind of opens the door now to and I feel this way and this happened and 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 all the other things all the other things that are behind yeah the hurt that they're holding, but that they've never been invited to talk about because no one has genuinely listened right. to the first hurt, right. the primary hurt. Yeah. It's not safe to Correct. talk about those things. Yeah. And then I think the thing for, this isn't going to be the, again, like I'm not giving solutions that fit every scenario, but if someone is truly like after having some genuine hearing, some genuine healing and listening. And um, the person who's deconstructing might need to come to a wrestling point of saying, I am not God. Mm -hmm. God is God. Mm -hmm. Coming back to, um, uh, I've been reflecting on and since I've read it and I've shared it a couple different places now, Job 28, where Job reflects on wisdom. 
He's like, where can you find wisdom? You cannot find it. And then ultimately he says that God knows is the only person who knows where wisdom is. And he has said to mankind that wisdom is the fear of the Lord and understanding is to flee from evil. Mm. And mm. right. <sighs> yeah. And, and you want to like salt Proverbs says the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. And I would say that in a lot of ways, that's the beginning of faith. And it's, it's, it's a primary facet of, do you, like, maybe you're deconstructing and you're like, I really, because sometimes when unhealthy deconstruction is happening, what's coming up against is what seems to be the mystery of God or the, unre- or the revealed will of God comes into conflict with what we want. And then we want to conform things to fit what we want. Yes. And what we need to do is we need to come back to a place of fear Fearing of the Lord. Lord. Yep. And then understanding is fleeing from sin. Yeah. And that's that that is the guardrail that yep. I think is the backstop of much deconstruction. If you get to a place where in your most honest moments you're just like I think what I'm doing is I'm molding God into what I want. Right. If in your most honest moments, if that's the conviction you come to, you you need to stop. Yeah. It's it is, you know, in its most like in the most honest terms, it's self-idolatry. Yes. You know, it's the idolatry of self, the idolatry of individualism. Mm-hmm. Um of I am a god unto myself, and so yeah. whatever is appropriate for me to believe is what is now true, which is extraordinarily dangerous if you still have a conception of the reality of God. Yes. You know, you better, you better really quickly, um, you better really quickly come to a place of whether or not you think God is real mm-hmm. and alive. Yeah. And all of the things, because, um, you know, I think from a really just a basic standpoint, if I were taking a very um, like clinical, sterile approach to it, mm-hmm. if there is a God, you know, he likely he likely believes things and thinks things mm-hmm. and is probably not really eager to compromise on the things that he thinks and believes because he is God. Right. Right. And so um, what level of security do we have or do you have in the midst of your deconstruction or the place where you end up that the positions that you hold are the positions that God holds? And it is. it seems like it would be a really dangerous position to be like, no, I have now arrived at the place where I am sure and confident that the positions that I hold are the exact positions that God holds. Right. But that's often what the conclusion is. Yes. And and tread my very sincere pastoral wisdom in that would be tread very lightly mm-hmm. when you come to a place of like, no, God and I completely yeah. are in unity about this thing. Right. And the the funny thing is, is that that's the same advice 
I imagine we would probably give someone who is in a place of like absolute militant resistance to deconstruction or like, Mm -hmm. like again, if we're dealing with someone who's just like in a, in a place of like, I, I know extraordinary legalism, extraordinary legalism. Yes. Yeah. This is the theological system that this is everyone the must only position, right? This is the only, you know, when we come into secondary issues and all of that and yeah. like a kind of an anger, my way or the highway type of Christianity, yeah. like really right. Fear of the Lord. Yes. Right. right. His ways are higher than my ways. Yeah. Let me not presume right. that I have, I have discerned the mind of the Lord. Sure. Sure. It'd be, I think, another interesting topic for us to tackle, probably not today, definitely not today, <laughs> um, would be um, to talk about what fear of the Lord is. Yeah. I don't even know if I'd, like, because that is such a, it's such a big theological concept Yeah, that I think undergirds a lot of things in the Bible, but we don't necessarily talk about a lot. No, we don't. Um, and my experience, you know, without getting too far into the conversation, without actually getting into the conversation, is my experience is that we try to nuance it out of being fear. Fear. Yeah. It's all. It's honor. It's, it's awe. It's worship. It's glory. Like, why can't it just be fear? Mm-hmm. You know, does the does the creation say to the creator? You know, like the the clay does not say to the potter, mm-hmm. um, you know, why have you formed me or this or that, right? The creation does not say to the creator, um, yeah. does not question the creator. Yeah. Isaiah's, the always, I always, when I think of fear of the Lord, I think of Isaiah, it's Isaiah, right? Is encountering the throne room of the Lord mm. and it's filled with this yep. glory. Yep. And what does he say? Woe, Woe is me. me. I am ruined. Yes. Right. I am unclean. That right. is fear. Yeah. That is not just reverence. That yeah. is absolute terror. Yep. Yeah. Right. Right. Counteracted again with like the, the words of C.S. Lewis, like describing Aslan, the metaphor for God. Right. Is he safe? No, of course not. <laughs> no, he's not safe. He's a lion. Yeah. Right. But he's good. He's very good. Right? Yeah. Oh, love it. Yeah, beautiful picture. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, well, I mean, I don't know if you know any of you out there listening or watching today have any other maybe questions or like um, feelings or thoughts on deconstruction in any direction or any of the things that we talked about today. But I, if you do, we would love to hear your comments. Mm-hmm. Love to hear your questions about it. Um, love to be able to talk about these things. Um, and, uh, we'll hope that we hope that you will comment or that you'll send in a uh, question to our mailbag texting line, 716-201-0507. And, uh, we will add that to a mailbag episode or just kind of take them as one offs as we're mm-hmm. feeling so led. Uh, we do have a couple topics coming up that we'd like to talk about. Um, but we're always willing and ready to maybe take a break in what we think we should talk about to hear what you all out there want to talk about. As always, we ask if you uh, enjoy this, that you like, uh, like it wherever you're 
um, listening. You can subscribe. You can rate it, uh, share it. If you're listening on social media, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, all those places, we'd really appreciate that. Thanks for listening today. And we'll catch you on the next episode of the Uncut Podcast. See you all next time.